Welcome to the debrief. I'm Diane Macedo. As many get ready to hit the roads and the skies, we are going to be taking a look at what you can expect on this holiday travel day, as well as that weather forecast. But first, here are your headlines. South Korean law enforcement official Kim Jong-yang is the new president of the international police organization Interpol. He replaces a Chinese security official who mysteriously disappeared and was later detained by his home nation in what was called a corruption probe. The death toll from the California wildfires has risen again. It's now at 84. The number of missing is a little under 900. The search teams will be given a certain area and then they will go from property to property uh, looking for any evidence of human remains. Police in Nashville, Tennessee now think someone threw a chunk of concrete off a highway overpass, hitting a car and killing the driver. They're looking through surveillance video for clues. The Vatican has confirmed that Pope Francis will travel to Panama in January for its big World Youth Day rally. He'll also spend time with juvenile delinquents and AIDS sufferers. The CDC says no one should eat any romaine lettuce at all after an E. coli outbreak. And it's the end of the run for Glamour magazine after 79 years. Publisher Condé Nast is ending the print edition starting in February. Welcome to the debrief. We're going to start things off with the weather this morning. With Thanksgiving just a day away, the east is bracing for an Arctic chill as the west braces for some rain. Ginger Z starts us off with our forecast. Ginger. Diane, thank you. So many people going to just be frozen on Thanksgiving. So let's look at some of the numbers. Uh, you're seeing the, some of the wind chills. So you add the wind, which will be somewhere between 15 and 30 miles per hour, depending on your location, when the Arctic front comes through. And it's going to leave you feeling like six in New York City. Um, Burlington, Vermont, 15 below. They could actually see one of their coldest Thanksgivings on record. 16 is what it'll feel like in Windsor, Canada. Uh, so not a lot of folks getting away with it, nor will they be getting away from the wind because some of the gusts could peak close to 30 miles per hour. That's going to be right below the threshold of what the Macy's Day Parade looks for. Precipitation-wise, a lot of folks stay relatively dry, just a few flurries when you get closer to the coast to 995, but looking for some heavier snows back in the Lee of the Lakes. Erie, Pennsylvania already had three inches with uh, what happened on Tuesday, but there's more more flying now. So winter weather advisories for the day today, Buffalo and Watertown, both with two to four inches possible. You could see some of the gusts too, reaching about 40 miles per hour. That's going to make the visibility pretty low. So unless you're traveling right around the lakes, uh, most of the forecast is dry until you get over to the far west coast. That's going to help some of the smoke though. That's good news. Thanksgiving Day itself looking, again, relatively pleasant for most people aside from that headlining cold and a little bit of mountain snow. Diane, happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to you. Ginger's got her turtleneck. She's all ready for that cold weather. And millions of people, of course, will be watching the weather very closely as they head out to try to get to their holiday destinations. That means the skies are going to be very busy. We have David Curley at Reagan International Airport, Megan Lopez at Denver International to let us know what we can expect at the airports. David, let's start things off with you. You know, this could be, they're saying, the busiest Thanksgiving ever. So how are the airports going to handle that? They're doing pretty well right now. In fact, Ginger just gave you the best news, and you just saw an American Eagle plane landing here at Reagan National Airport. The big news is the weather. And I got to tell you, 
I talked to airlines this morning and over the past several days, and the thing they were worried about the most is not the fact that they might actually set a record, but that the weather is going to cooperate. Because if they had bad weather, it's very difficult to handle these kind of record crowds. So the number of passengers just today, this number kind of boggles the mind, is nearly 3 million people in America will get on a plane today and fly. That's a 6% increase from last year. This is the second busiest day in this compact Thanksgiving uh, travel time. Sunday will be the biggest. It's expected to be over 3 million passengers on Sunday. So how do the airlines deal with it? One, they have the weather going in their favor. They've also added 158,000 seats. And a lot of people say, how do you add seats on something like this? And the way they do it is that they, they time their maintenance of their aircraft so that they avoid this heavy travel period. So they either get them into maintenance early or if they can wait a couple of weeks or 10 days after this, then they take those planes through maintenance. And so they have all those extra seats that they can actually fly. And they have to use bigger planes in some of these airports to move a bunch of people, Diane, because um, they have a certain number of slots. You can only take off and land so many times at an airport. You're allowed a certain number. The other thing that they've done is that they've gotten some help from the FAA and the military. Off the East Coast here is a lot of airspace that is owned by the military. They've lifted those restrictions so the planes can make a more direct routes when they're flying ah. in and around this area, which should help move folks around a little bit. So that's good news. And then I looked at the lines at TSA a little bit earlier this morning here at Reagan, and they were a little longer than normal, but TSA has added 1,200 officers and 80 canine units across the country. And they use those canine issues, uh, units to actually move passengers through the checkpoints quicker, and they say they'll be able to move everybody through. So the airlines feel pretty confident generally. Here at Reagan, I talked about a 6% nationwide increase. It's actually 30% more passengers here. That's the bigger aircraft. What about 30%. Denver? Megan Lopez is there. She's been watching what's going on at that airport. Megan, what's the latest so far this morning? So far, it's actually going pretty smoothly, and that's despite the fact that we're seeing a lot more passengers come through. We're expecting 1.2 million passengers to come through DIA this Thanksgiving week alone. Like you said, we're going to see Sunday be the worst, but Saturday is going to be breaking records. Something that I can tell you guys both is that we have seen this airport break record after record in recent years. But guess what? We were just voted the number one airport in the nation by a Wall Street Journal poll. Now, out here at the lines, they're not too bad right now, but they are expected to get worse. In just about an hour's time, we're actually expecting to see the worst that it could possibly be or that they're expecting it to be. But so far, passengers that I've talked to said that they don't think that it's going to be uh, that bad. Now, couple that and the chaos of all of the travelers that we've got right now with construction. DIA right now is undergoing a $650 million construction project. This entire area is going to be completely redone, and those security lines are not going to be there. They're going to be here where I'm standing. So people have to kind of navigate around all the construction chaos and the fact that there's so many travelers here, guys. Quite a few barriers, it sounds like. You know, but it does, it does also sound like these airports are handling this pretty well. Uh, David, the one thing you didn't mention is getting bumped. Does, do all these travelers being uh, in the environment increase that chance at all? Well, you know, this is the one time that airlines really don't want to bump you. They don't want to pay you to get off the plane. Everybody wants to get home for the holidays. You don't have a lot of flexibility. 
So what usually happens is the airlines overbook flights, and that's why some people get bumped occasionally. Mm -hmm. During a period like this, they don't overbook because they don't want to have to tell somebody, does somebody want to take money to get off a plane? So there shouldn't be much bumping going on at this point. And with flights moving and, and, and leaving and arriving on time because of the weather, there really shouldn't be a problem with that this time around. All right, lots of fingers crossed, I'm sure. David Curley and Megan Lopez, we appreciate it, guys. Thank you. Hope you get to your holiday destination yeah. safely and quickly. And now let's head over to KABC's chopper reporter, Scott Reif, who is keeping an eye on the roads for us, because, of course, it's not just the skies that are going to be busy. If you're driving, expect a lot of company. Uh, Scott, what are you seeing, uh, and what do you think we can expect? Hey, good morning, folks. I'm Scott Reif at KBC TV in Los Angeles. And boy, right off the bat this morning, we have started out looking at heavy traffic, much heavier than normal. Here's a look at the Santa Monica Freeway, the 10, the westbound 10 through Mid-City. Now, you can tell if you're leaving L.A., look at the westbound side. It's bumper to bumper, jammed up already at this early hour. If you're on the Santa Monica Freeway eastbound, it's not too bad. But that's the pattern that we are seeing here as you make that drive. All of the getaway commutes and the drive towards the airport, LAX, is just turning out to be tough. They expect two and a half million people to go through LAX over the holiday, and they expect some four million people to hit the roadways over the holiday, according to AAA. So it's going to be dreadful on our freeways here. And then not only that, we're expecting some possible rain to come in right about the time we get our heaviest volume for the getaway drive around two o'clock this afternoon. So certainly a lot of things complicating the commute at this hour. It's going to be a tough one throughout the country. I think everybody realizes this is one of the heaviest traveled days of the year so you do have to prepare for it and just try and be patient back to you all right scott thank you let's go over to the white house now at the new york times reports that president trump at one point wanted to order the justice department to prosecute hillary clinton and former fbi director james comey karen travers is outside the white house with more on that Karen, any response from the White House so far to this report? I'm surprised we haven't seen a tweet from the president about yeah. this, Diane. But the president certainly campaigned on this. This was something he has talked about since he took office. So not surprising that he tried to push this forward. But these details in the New York Times report that the White House counsel at the time, Don McGahn, had the legal team write a memo to give to the president to lay out why this would be very bad for him, why uh, this could spark calls for impeachment, and this politically it was a headache that they said he just could not take. So the White House, uh, I, I think, will try and, you know, perhaps not address this. But it is notable because there's been a lot of criticisms right now over the president pushing out the attorney general, Jeff Sessions, bringing in Matt Whitaker now as the acting attorney general, and a lot of questions about his authority and whether or not he is going to try and push forward more of the president's politically motivated decisions and, and the things he'd like to see done at the Justice Department. That was a big criticism from the president of why he was always so frustrated and angry with Jeff Sessions. Diane, he would always say, you know, Sessions just wasn't doing what he wanted him to do and wasn't being tougher there as the head of the Justice Department. All right. And we know what happens when that happens, Karen. Uh, the president also, we're hearing, submitted answers to at least some of special counsel Robert Mueller's questions. What do we know on that front? 
Yeah, cross a big to-do list item for the president <laughs> before he left for Florida for the Thanksgiving holiday. The president told us yesterday at the White House that he had finished his answers and then it was up for the lawyers to turn them in. We heard late yesterday that they had done just that. And the lawyers say that these questions were divided up into five parts and no surprise focus very heavily on questions about collusion with Russia in the 2016 election. The president's personal attorney, Rudy Giuliani, uh, told Axios here in Washington uh, that Mueller also asked the president whether he knew at the time about his son Don Jr.'s meeting with Russians at Trump Tower back in 2016. This is a very pivotal event in this timeline and in the investigation. Not sure what the president answered though, of course. Rudy Giuliani also told ABC News it's time for this inquiry to be over. But Diane, we don't know what this means for the timeline. Of course, this ends months of negotiations between the president's legal team and the special counsel about how they would question the president. But now that he's turned in his answers, where are we in this process? We just don't know because, of course, Robert Mueller is not making a lot of things very public. All right, understandably so. And uh, Karen, the president's also getting a lot of flack for seemingly standing by the Saudi prince and his denials of having anything to do with Jamal Khashoggi's death. Now it seems the Senate is trying to force Trump's hand in a way. What's going on there? It's unlikely the president is going to bow to pressure from lawmakers. He made this very clear yesterday that for him it is America first and he is not going to do anything to jeopardize the relationship between the United States and Saudi Arabia because he said there are just too many economic implications. He doesn't want to see the price of oil go up. He doesn't want to jeopardize that weapon sale agreement that he made last year with the Saudis. But you're right. He's getting a lot of pressure now from lawmakers, from Republicans, from allies of his. Uh, Rand Paul Republican senator said the president's statement was Saudi Arabia first, not America first. Bob Corker, another Republican senator, but a critic of the president, uh, said that this was a press release for Saudi Arabia, what the president was saying yesterday about holding the Saudis accountable for the Khashoggi murder. And even Lindsey Graham, a very close ally of the president, says that he thinks there'd be strong bipartisan support for tough sanctions on the Saudis. The president made it very clear if lawmakers want to go ahead and do that and try and pursue that, they can do that. He is unlikely to go along with this. All right, we'll see how that goes. Karen Travers, we appreciate it. And now from the White House to Wall Street, stocks have been having a rough go lately, with the Dow opening this morning having wiped out all of its gains for the year. Rebecca Jarvis has the latest on what's going on there. Rebecca? That's right, Diane. Stocks opened higher this morning, but they've had a rough go of it as of late with the Dow falling more than 550 points yesterday, which means for a lot of people, those retirement savings accounts are back where they were at the end of 2017 because the gains for this year, 2018, have been wiped out. Now, one of the big drivers of this are technology companies. Apple stock, for example, down more than 20% off the highs on fears that iPhone demand is slowing. And one of the things that's really driven this market over the last handful of years have been those technology companies. The Apples, the Amazons, the Netflixes of the world, they have been the high flyers. Now they're some of the stocks under the most pressure. And even if you've never bought a share of Apple stock, chances are it's in your retirement account. If you have a 401k or an 
an IRA. It's one of the most widely held stocks inside of mutual funds and ETFs, so it's very likely in that 401k of yours. Another big factor here is interest rates. Interest rates are rising, and we've really been in this period for the last 10 years of rock bottom interest rates. Well, now, as interest rates go up, the cost of borrowing gets more expensive. That means businesses and consumers might spend less money going forward. That can also slow things down. And you also have the trade dispute with China. Those tariffs are still in place. There's no real end in sight at this point around that issue. And that, too, has driven some of the overall pessimistic sentiment. But you couple that with what's happening among U.S. consumers in the U.S. market. Keep in mind, here in the United States, about 70% of our economic growth comes from our behavior, how we as consumers do. Do we spend money? The unemployment rate, now the lowest since 1969, wages are rising, and the holiday season is predicted to be one of the strongest on record. The average person expected to spend about $1,000 over the holidays. That's up 4% from last year. If it's a very positive holiday season, you could see some of that momentum spill over into the stock market and sentiment here as well. But interest rates are a really big thing. The Federal Reserve is predicted to hike rates again in December. And depending on what comes out of that meeting, that will very likely drive the overall sentiment here in markets going forward. Diane? All right, Rebecca. So it sounds like the holiday shopping season could have a big effect on the economy. And it unofficially, of course, kicks off on Friday, Becky Worley now has the news on how we can score the best bargains on Black Friday. Becky? Good morning, Diane. Shopping season is upon us. The new news, discounts come in the next six days. Those will be the best discounts of the season. We're not expecting fire sales as we get closer to Christmas. There's an inside baseball reason for that. Manufacturers saying the cost of goods is actually going up for them rising uh, wages and the threat of tariffs, making it more expensive to make products. They won't eat into their margin to get rid of inventory uh, close to the holiday season. We think these are going to be the best discounts. Another new aspect this year, no Toys R Us. Your options for buying toys in store are limited. Research from a firm called Criterio saying 78% of the shoppers who plan to shop in store for toys are heading to Walmart and Target. That's good news for those retailers, but they just don't have the same amount of inventory that Toys R Us had. So you should anticipate going early for toys and uh, picking the ones you want. If there's a must-have toy, get it sooner rather than later. So shopping go time, Diane. Get ready and shop. All right, Becky, I'm, I'm ready to go right after this newscast is over. But in the meantime, we have some important news for Cleveland. LeBron James is returning to his home city, this time as an opponent tonight with the Lakers. So question is, how will he be received? ESPN's Cheney Owumike has more on that. Cheney, what do you think? Does he get cheers or does he get boos? Well, I find it ironic, Diane, that LeBron James returns to Cleveland for the first time as a Los Angeles Laker right before Thanksgiving because it gives the NBA and Cleveland fans so much to be thankful for. Thankful that he was born and raised in Akron, Ohio, was drafted to become this hometown hero and spent seven seasons there. Thankful that he actually went to the Miami Heat where he learned how to win and took that blueprint 
brought it back to Cleveland in 2014 and won a championship against the 73-win Warriors team. Also thankful, though, that he did leave because he left a piece of his heart in Cleveland, his I Promise School. So when you're looking at LeBron James, his total career, you have plenty to be thankful for. But at the end of the day, no booze. Let's not be petty. NBA Twitter has a tendency to be petty. You have to support the man who has witnessed greatness on many levels. All right, we'll see. People have short-term memories today, you know? I hope so. I really do hope so. I do have the Cavs winning, definitely. Oh, you've got the Cavs. All right, there we go. We've got the prediction for you today. Well, McKay, we appreciate it. Thanks. And sticking with sports, we have to go to the world of golf now. Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson will be matching up in a un an unprecedented one-on-one -on -one showdown with $9 million on the line. ESPN's Michael Collins has more on this. Michael, explain how this whole thing's supposed to work. Yeah, nine million to the winner and nothing to the loser. It's too bad this <laughs> didn't happen about 15, I don't know, 20 years ago when they weren't really good friends. But how this is going to work is it's winner take all and it's match play. So you win holes until there aren't any more holes to play. Or if you're five holes up with only four holes to play, you win. But what's happening is the side bets. That's where the fun's going to come in. So what kind of side bets are they making at this point? What are we seeing? You know, ironically enough, one of the big side bets that was out there, they had to take off the board. And it was, how many holes before the first $50,000 plus bet is made on the side? Now, these bets are just between Phil and Tiger. And guess what? It's only Wednesday, the match is Friday, <laughs> and they already have a bet on the first hole for $200,000. Phil Mickelson came out and said, I got $100,000 that said, I'm a birdie the first hole. There's nothing you can do. And Tiger went, yeah, well, let's double it. 200000 You ain't birdie in the first hole. Just like that. So now there's all kinds of side prop bets you can make through Vegas on how many holes are going to be won, who's going to go up one first, who's going to win by how much at the end, all kinds of stuff. Tiger Woods is the overwhelming favorite going into this in almost every bet out there. All right, but if you look at the trash talking, Phil Mickelson clearly doesn't think so. They sat down with Adrian Bankert this morning for Good Morning America, and it was hilarious. I just want to play a short clip of that. Oh, I'm sorry. We don't, we don't have that clip. But the two of them, as you said, are good friends. And so they've been having so much fun with this, going back oh, and yeah. forth, talking about trying on each other's jackets and so on. And as you mentioned, clearly putting their money where their mouth is. So, Michael, now you're on the spot. What's your prediction? Who wins tonight? <laughs> well, here's what I'll tell you. When it comes to trash talking, Phil Mickelson, definitely the winner. <laughs> and he has a lot of fun doing it. But when it comes to golf, Tiger has had that man's number. And believe me when I tell you, this match is probably going to be over early. I say Tiger wins six and five. I think this match will be over five and four. Tiger will win this on the 15th hole. But they're going to play it out to the 18th, I'm sure, because of all those fun side bets. All right. Well, we certainly want to see them play it out because they're fun to watch. Two living legends. Can't wait to see this showdown. Michael Collins, thanks so much for the fun report. We appreciate it.
And that does it for us here at The Debrief. Remember, you can catch your headlines all day long at abcnews.com or at your ABC News app. For ABC News Live, I'm Diana Sato. Thanks for watching, everyone. Safe travels.